how this is a holographic reality. He calls it a virtual reality. But um, there's so much science and everything that backs that up. Um, it's the only thing that really makes sense. You know, the fact that there's a Planck scale and the speed of light are basically the limits. The Planck scale would be like a pixel on a screen. Uh, nothing can get smaller than that. Speed of light is basically like your rendering speed um, to make sure that the things that are inside the, the simulation can't um, figure out it's in the simulation and can't escape it. You know, you like there's a there's these parameters, there's these rule sets um, within the simulation. And, um, you know, it's it's becoming more and more clear. Like, basically, we have, like, a couple dec or a couple of centuries of materialist that, for lack of better words, we need to um, go away um, so that these new crop of people that have this new thinking on things can kind of take hold because science is so... Um, they get caught in, in their their beliefs you know it's like a religion and um there's a materialist belief that's permeating through science right now that's kind of getting replaced by this new way of thinking about things in the quantum you know field and and with you know holographic theory at its fundamental so um i do believe that um, there's a lot of data and science that backs that up and a lot of big hitters out there that confirm it um it just won't become mainstream until the the old school materialists kind of die off it seems but, um, but yeah, it's what it, it explains everything. I mean, you know, when you actually look at it through that lens, things make more sense. All right. Today's podcast is with Jordan Crowder. If those of you that know him, he talks about very similar things to me and what I do here on Universe a Game, that the universe could potentially be a game. And I was fascinated when I found out what he was doing. And I said, I got to talk to this guy. He's come to many of the same conclusions I have. What does he know? What can I learn from this man? So... We're here today to talk to Jordan. The bookmarks are going to be below if you want to jump to a specific part. Otherwise, I implore you to open up your mind to the possibilities of what could be. We talk about very similar things, right? Which I'm sure you know of. And um, I just, I was telling you right before we started, I saw one of your videos and I'm like, dude, well, I got to have this guy on. And it was specifically, there's a lot of videos that I, that I find super interesting and since you're on the Universal Game podcast, I figure why not just kind of start with you did a video why it's important that we live in a simulation. I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that, honestly. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of a wild journey how I got to this realization or this kind of conclusion, I guess you would say that. Um, and it's just a metaphor. You know, I don't know if we're literally in a simulation like people like to try to pinpoint who created it and, and the purpose and all that. I haven't got that far in my journey, but it, the simulation is just the closest metaphor I can find to what describes the reality that we're in. And through a bunch of health scares, like near-death experience and trying to heal my body back from basically my deathbed, I had to do some serious, crazy healing fast. And I had to find the probably the most effective modality for healing in the world. And I was just scouring and scouring and I was desperate. And then I, I got to learning about meditation and that led me to Robert Monroe and the Monroe Institute and just deep dove into all of that stuff, trying to basically figure out how I can hack reality so that I can heal my body so that I can basically stave off death. That was, so it was a, it was by necessity that I had to dive into all these things. And in doing that, it sort of opened my mind and blew my, my, you know, concept of reality open. And I used to be kind of a materialist and more into physics and astrophysics and that kind of stuff. And then I realized at a certain point through this whole kind of awakening process that, you know, I was like, okay, so all these things are true, like physics and everything. We're in this reality, but what is this reality? And I started really zooming out and zooming out layers and layer like an onion and got to the realization that I was like, okay, my closest analogy is that say you're like in an arcade, right? The arcade is the universe and each game 
is a different simulation. In this case, it would be like Earth would be a game, right? And it's a virtual reality game. And you walk up to it, and you're like, I'm going to go into this game, I'm going to play this game. It's super immersive. You know, you're, you, at a certain point, you forget you're even in a game, you know, because it's so immersive. And you, you're playing it, you're learning the lessons and everything, and, and then you die, and you come out, and you're like, okay, you know, now I know what I'm doing, I'm getting the hang of this game, you know, I know where the bosses are, I know where the pits are, I know where the fire is and everything, so I want to play again. And that's reincarnation. And you just kind of go in, in, loop after loop, and then you get to a point where you either get lost in the game, right, or you realize it's a game and you level up the game and you graduate from the game, right? And then after you graduate from the game, you are still in the arcade, right? So you're almost like in a simulation within a simulation because like what Robert Monroe and everyone talks about is that the whole universe is a projected holographic, you know, reality, but there's different little simulations in, inside of it, embedded inside of it. And so the closest thing I can come up with is an arcade, how you're inside a building, that's the universe, and then there's all these games and one of the game, the game that we're in now is the simulation. So say when you leave this simulation and you go to another one, you, you have to pick a different character, right? So you're in a totally different game. It's got different physics, got different characters, different objectives and missions and everything. You select that character and you're playing that character. Well, to us, that would be an extraterrestrial. An extraterrestrial is a conscious entity that's in a different type of body in a different game, different physics, different, you know, all that. But it's, it's a different simulation within the arcade, the arcade being the universe. So that's kind of how, like, I, I really uh, realized, <laughs> it seems, that we were in a game here. So then it made me think, okay, what's outside of this game? And then that's what led me to kind of the arcade analogy that, you know, we're in a game within an arcade, and the arcade has a lot of different games in it. So hmm. that's a kind of a general overview of, of how I have to wrap my head around it using visuals like that. There it is. There it is. So interesting you mentioned extraterrestrials and you're saying they're outside the simulation but you're saying the simulation is the universe so do you see extraterrestrials as coming from outside of our universe so through my research what i've discovered is there's what we call extraterrestrials the majority yeah. of them are what i would call time traveling humans the uh, nordics so the tall and blondes the nordics and even the small grays which would be their android buddies are literally time traveling humans um, so I don't consider them extraterrestrials. I actually consider them more like Atlanteans. Um, and well, how, well, you know. hold on. We got to stop there because that's a big jump. Right? That's a big jump to be like extraterrestrials potentially. To I know the color. <laughs> I know what they look like. How did you get there? Can we take that step? Uh, yeah. So, so the reason I started, you, you found me on YouTube, and the reason or on TikTok. The reason I walk around the forest and do my talks is because every day. So like I have, uh, I own a marketing business, and I. And I work a lot. So each day I go for a run and in my run, I listen to a podcast and I just, I go in the forest or the beach and I just think, right. And that's my decompression from my, my busy job. And, um, so I started, my wife challenged me. She was like, man, you should, cause I always come home and I would tell her all this wild shit and she's, and I'm just like <laughs> melting her mind, you know? And she's like, Hey, you should go tell the world. And I'm like, ah, no one cares about this stuff. And she's like, just go on TikTok and just, you know, she challenged me to do a video a day. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Who cares? So I did a video a day. I've only been on TikTok for a few months, and it, like, blew up, right? And um, not to your level. <laughs> that's, that's my goal. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I went from, like, zero followers to, like, 80,000 followers in just a few months and um, realized, oh, okay, people are interested in this. So, anyways, long story short, each day I go for a walk and I listen to stuff. And I, I have done this for years. And I just fill my brain constantly. As I'm working, I'm just pu constantly pumping in podcasts and, and listening to books just 
constant. My brain just can't get enough. It's, it's so thirsty for the stuff. So I just learn all the stuff from all these different angles and everything. And I cobble a lot of it together. And then I do a lot of like astral projection, um, meditation stuff, you know, with the Monroe Institute. And, um, I've gone some pretty far out places. We had a meditation studio here in town. Um, and, uh, it was a metaphysical meditation studio. We did a bunch of out of body stuff and, you know, just done a lot of stuff. So I've cobbled all that together and then studying like chronology of events and history and, and that kind of stuff has led me to a lot of places and the kind of realization that I've come to and it seems is that somewhere in the 1940s 50s we mastered um anti-gravity you know um this was swept under the rug uh, you know along the way of like the atomic you know test and all this kind of stuff they had to put it classify it like that but there was a breakaway sort of group there and um there's a lot of technical stuff that goes in there but there's a lot of evidence that shows that there was a breakaway kind of part of humanity that is probably now residing in Antarctica. Um, back in the day, from what I've found out, it seems like Atlanteans, Atlantis was a different form of humans a long time ago. And this kind of combines because the ones that broke away nowadays have kind of teamed up with the Atlanteans. Um, so let's say there was an Atlantean civilization thousands of years ago, tens of thousands of years ago, and they crumbled for whatever reason. Some people think it was like a psychic war type thing, and they sort of disturbed the earth in such a way it caused cataclysms, floods, all that kind of stuff. Through the Are you talking wars. about Plato's uh, account of Atlantis as the historical record of that too? That's Yeah, that is, that's okay. a huge part of it. Um, but there's there's a lot that, that corresponds with that. Um, Mother Shipton and um, Edward Casey and um, um, the who sleeping the prophet, right? Yeah, and who is the Austrian? I can't. I always, I always try to say Alistair Crowley because his name kind of sounds like that, but it's it's not him. Um, I can't think of it. And then there's a guy named Jason Riza Giordani, um, who you you have to look into. He is probably the most intelligent person in the world on this topic. Um, he has a bad name because he was associated with the alt right years ago, but it was like a defamation type thing. So don't let that cloud anything. Um, his work on this is groundbreaking. So look, his name's Jason Riza Giorgiani, and um, he's been able to put together all this um, real, this isn't conjecture, this is like, you know, historical facts. And um, so anyways, you cobble it all together from all these different things. And um, what, it paints a picture to where there's Atlanteans, their civilization crumbled, um, they took refuge inside the earth, and then at a certain point, they left the earth and went to the backside of the moon. Um, they've been kind of engineering our race and everything. It's what you'd call the Anunnaki. So if you think about like the Anunnaki, the uh, Olympians, the Titans, um, the Greek gods, um, all of the different characters through time that would come after a civilization collapsed, there would always be these tall, blonde, Nordic-type beings, beards, long hair, taller, that would come and reseed the next civilization, right? Um, they usually came, the Anunnaki even means like from the skies they came or from the heavens they came, something like that. So it paints this picture of every time a civilization crumbles on earth, this, these tall Nordic looking beings come and reseed, teach them agriculture, math, you know, civilization, that kind of stuff. And it's happened repeatedly throughout time. These would be the Atlanteans, um, reseeding and, and kind of engineering the species on earth for whatever their reasons are. I have my, my ideas, but I don't know for sure. And, um, that they are essentially um, what we would call extraterrestrials because they travel in these ships. They have, I'm guessing, because a lot of people in near-death experiences and, and abduction experiences and stuff always talk about seeing the little grays, and there will usually be like a tall blonde somewhere, um, either on the main ship they go to or something like that. So, so that that's led me the evidence. Down. 
right there. Oh, and there's hundreds of... That's what of, I'm trying to figure out. You know, how Hundreds you of abduction it. cases where people talk about where it starts off, they're in a ship with like these little grays, and then at some point they either go to a bigger ship or something, and then there's these tall blondes, and they're the Nordics. So I started thinking, I was like, what are the odds that there's these tall blonde aliens, but they, I think they give themselves the name of like um, uh, Pleiadians and that kind of stuff, because they want us thinking that they're coming from way out in the cosmos, right? So we don't look here. So we don't look on the moon. We don't look inside the earth. You know, it's a misdirection. So they plant these seeds in us that, oh, they come from the Pleiadians or something like that. I think they're really here. So I was like, what are the odds that, you know, people say from the Pleiadians though? Who knows where they originated from? Maybe. That's what I was wondering if you had any insight into that. So they think that a lot of people with the remote viewers that have remote viewed Mars think that um, they used to be on Mars millions and millions of years ago. And there was, um, they have evidence of nuclear explosions on Mars. They're, the remote viewers saw these tall humanoid beings that were huddled in these pyramids on Mars. Um, the remote viewers were asking them questions like, what are you doing here and stuff? And they were, said they were waiting for the ship they sent out to find, to come back with like their new home because they had destroyed this place. They were dying. Um, and that their new home was Earth. They came to Earth, terraformed Earth, put the moon in place, did all these things to create their next civilization. This was a long time ago. And then they ended up destroying that world too. They have a track record here of fucking things up. And, um, you know, we're sort of like a um, hybrid offspring of them, you know. But we call them extraterrestrials or aliens because they fly around in ships. They have these little greys and stuff. But even David Grush and all these people are talking about how the greys are these android biological beings. They're not actual aliens, you know. It's more so like a, an assistant, a helper, you know, kind of a deal. So anyways, it made me think. I was like, okay, who are these tall blondes? Like, what are, what are the odds that these beautiful blonde people are just floating around the universe, you know? It's so bizarre and that they look like humans. They have green, blue eyes. They have blonde hair, you know, beards. And you start looking at all these, like, reliefs and carvings from all these ancient civilizations, and you see these tall, bearded, long-haired, you know, humanoids that are helping all these civilizations. Then you compare it to the Titans, the Olympians, the Greek gods, the Anunnaki, you know, and even in Mesoamerica, all of their, uh, I'll butcher all the names, but all of their beings, all of the, their gods are all the same. They fit the same caricature, you know, tall, long hair, curly beards, you know, and it paints this picture like, okay, these people have been around a long time. I don't think they're aliens. I think they're humans, just a different form of humans. I think it goes back to the Atlanteans. You know, it seems to be a common thread throughout history, you know. If you like this podcast, I would really appreciate if you just hit like if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on audio platforms, I would really appreciate if you could just leave me a nice five-star review. It means so much to me. All the support means so much to me. So thank you very much. Let's get back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of information. <laughs> I know. Welcome to my world. Freaking <laughs> man and i love it you know so it doesn't mean there's not extraterrestrials it just means that that accounts for the majority of what we see that we chalk up to extraterrestrials okay so there's so many ways that we could go from here i think an important point for me is that i have been interested in a in things such as channeling and you know these intuitive messages that a lot of so-called channelers give and i've had a whole journey with this right if you go back to the beginning of the podcast i talked about the law of one a lot and you know over the years i do think that channeled stuff can be true i don't think you can ever discount it fully but i also worry that a lot of information that comes out is just false and so 
that can be why would somebody make shit up? Well, they want to make money. You know, it's it's easy to make shit up. What's hard is having historical evidence for things. And of course, there's going to be things that are true without historical evidence. So it's also not wise to just say, well, if we have evidence for it, then it's true. I think there's a subtle balance of being able to contemplate things, but at the same time, maybe not go too far to the point where we're living kind of in this world of, this is how we see reality, but there's no way to tangibly access or verify that. And so, you know, as we talk here, there's a lot of things that you said that I'm like, I'm on board, but at the same time, there's a practical side of me that really wants to hear the evidence, you know, the evidence of these claims, because there's a lot. And I know one of those claims that does have evidence that you just went over very slightly is remote viewing. You know, remote viewing has been documented. It has been documented that there are three-letter agencies using remote viewers. They have in the past. What are your thoughts on remote viewing specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's – I love it. I, I use it. I've, I've been studying it for oh. years. Um, it's absolutely a real phenomenon. Um, and um, the remote viewing data drives a lot because I'm like you. I'm very – I have to see things to, you know, like – like I have a wild imagination, so it's easy for me to sort of take these things and run with it. But I don't say anything. Nothing comes out of my mouth unless I've actually chewed on it for a very long time and tried to cross-examine it as best as I can. And like I said, so much misinf misinformation out there. Now, I'm definitely not just like a conspiratorial guy that spits shit out just for like clicks. Like this stuff is stuff that I've really thought about for a long time. And I've had other views. Like trust me, I didn't come to any of these things lightly. And I am completely open to that I'm 1 million percent wrong because this is an ongoing evolution of thinking. And, you know, new stuff comes out all the time. But, um, and... Like I said, if somebody, if there's entities that are far more, you know, superior than us consciously, they can manipulate all of this stuff and basically create any sort of scenario or, you know, um, thinking that they want. So you also have to keep that in mind. I, I love channeling. I love Law of One. Um, but there's also a lot of stuff out there that is complete BS. Um, but Law of One, if they hoax that, then they are the most elite scholar level hoaxers of all time. You know, so I, I firmly, <laughs> you know. Say, and, and uh, I, I, yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, that's so, what I thought too. It's like it's so dense and complex. Either there was a, a the world's greatest philosopher behind this, and he just said spit it out to the public, or it potentially is. I know you've talked about David Wilcock before, and I love David Wilcock too. And one of the things he said is that ninety nine percent of channeling is false, and I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. There probably is a handful of people that are really doing this, but you know, probably a lot yeah. of people in it for the money. You have to have a good bullshit meter for all of this stuff because um, it is far out there and it really is. And um, but so as far as remote viewing goes, I mean, like um, Ingo Swan. So this all goes into my thinking. Right. So you have um, like uh, Joe Monocle and all these people that remote viewed Mars and the ancient Martians and all that kind of stuff. Right. Which led to my theory about the Martians coming to Earth, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago, terraforming um, Earth, basically the dinosaurs. Um, were wiped out, turned into, basically evolved into humanoid, like raptor type things, which what we'd call the reptilians of today. Um, so anyways, that's a whole nother thing. But um, they remote viewed all the stuff on Mars. And then Ingo Swan was remote viewing um, the moon for the CIA, not knowing he was remote viewing the moon. And basically his consciousness was told, was kicked out of the moon, like by, you know, 
higher consciousness beings that were basically saying, hey, you can't be here. And then he came back and he was in a CIA you know, briefing and was like, where was I? You know, because I, I reached something much stronger than, than me. And eventually they told him you were remote beyond the moon. And um, so and there's been other astronauts that have confirmed that they were told, you know, um, subconsciously or tele, uh, telepathically to get off the moon and never come back. So you know, this paints a picture that there was a species, an uh, advanced species on the on Mars a long time ago that probably came to Earth, that there's still an advanced species on the moon. And this is all corroborated by many, many different remote viewers, astronauts, uh, high up intelligence officials, all this kind of stuff. So this isn't just crazy Jordan in the woods, you know, so like I, I, I take those bits of nuggets and information, I run them through my filter, I take all these different things and I kind of paint this picture because all you get is fragments from any of this stuff. And you have to kind of put it together. It's like a, it's like shattering a mirror and putting all the pieces back. So um, you're not going to get it all right, but um, I'm just trying to create like a framework to try to understand like what the fuck is going on? Like, what is this? I love this world. I love everything about this reality. And I think it's it, crazy, interesting and fascinating. And um, to me, it blows my mind that people aren't as fascinated. And it's probably good that people, a lot of people don't care so they can just go and be productive citizens of the world. <laughs> because if everyone was like us, I don't know how much we get done in the world. But, um, you know, I look around and I'm just like, I want to know what's going on? I want to know where, what's behind all this. You know, there has to be a bigger story. And uh, the more you dig, I mean, just like Jacques Vallée spent his whole life studying this and he's still like clueless. But I think it does, you start to get like a, you build a framework. And I think we can build on people before us and remote viewing. To answer your question, um, I think it's absolutely real when done right, you know, obviously. And, um, you know, that's a big part of the Monroe Institute, like all their teachings, the Gateway um, Project was what led to you know, the, the remote viewers with SRI and everything. So, um, that's the, the framework that I use to heal my body. And that's what I've used to do all my astral projection and all my, my meditations and all that is from the old sixties, um, stuff that I found <laughs> somewhere, um, about the Monroe Institute and like their, their real teachings, like the, the basic framework of how this stuff works, how to ascend your levels of consciousness, how to like use the, the concept of virtual reality and, and everything to manifest into 3D print um, and what they call patterning, um, all this stuff. So remote viewing is, is a huge part of that. It's basically like time traveling um, through your thoughts. You know what I mean? Like you can go any place in any location in any time, you know, with your thoughts, um, with intent focused thinking. And it's, it's wild, you know. Do you know anything about the gov using that in any situations? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, it's, you know, if you, if you like Russell Tark and Hal Putoff and all those people that were a part of, um, you know, um, the SRI stuff, the Gateway Project, um, Joe, Joe Mamonical and all of those people, I mean, they, they've come out, Ingo Swan, all those people, they've come out and written all sorts of books. Um, you know, they do talks all the time and, and spill the beans on all this stuff. So, you know, the, the government says that it worked, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't cost effective. I forget what the reason was for shutting it down, but everybody says they basically shut it down publicly and just moved it to the black projects. Um, but even the government's come out and said it works. Um, Russia uses it to today. Russia has come out many times and said that it works, you know? Um, so it's, a uh, it's definitely beyond proven and it's on record by many, many high up people that it works. So it's funny when people still try to discredit stuff because people will be like, Oh, where's the proof? And it's like, there's literally pages and pages, you know, hours and hours of, of, you know, testimony and talks from these people that were all part of it that, you know, proclaim how well it works, not just that it works, but that it like it's high level of effectiveness and everything. So it's crazy. It, it is a real thing. It's just for obvious reasons. They don't want the average person to realize 
And, and I've struggled with this because, like, I understand that humans have far more potential than anyone realizes, right? It, the average person is probably using 5 or 10% of their human potential. And then it, at a, a certain part of me gets mad. I'm like, okay, if these government officials and stuff like that, they know this. They know that we're severely underperforming. Um, it's messed up for them to hold that from us. But then, on the other hand, from a management position, if you had 8 billion people and your job was to keep everyone controlled and happy and productive, do you want them all realizing that they're fucking X-Men, that they have these amazing abilities that they can manifest and change things that they could literally, with your thinking, you could, you know, squeeze an artery and give someone a, a heart attack or something. Like, you know, there, there's so many things you can do with this ability that that part of me realizes, okay, consciously we're not ready yet for this information to be widespread. And I think they're cool with, like, a select, like, tiny 0.001% of the population being privy to this stuff because um, they know the vast majority of people don't care and won't put in the f effort to master it. But there really is like a Jedi type ability of every human if they were to put in the work. And it's absolutely real. And it's out there. All the information's out there. The government and everyone just knows most people don't care. <laughs> hmm. So when you say it's available if you put in the work, what's the work? Um, the big so, question. <laughs> yeah. So a hack that I found... Um, so I use what's called HemiSync technology from the Monroe Institute, and, and I love it. So that's what I use to, to heal my body and to do a lot of manifestation and everything. Because what it does is through this HemiSync technology, um, through sound waves, it can get you into this elevated state of consciousness that you need to do this stuff much quicker. I mean, they, they did some, they put some like monks in these MRI machines and stuff and tested them. And then they tested people doing the HemiSync and found that basically monks that had put in decades of work, um, learning how to master meditation, um, could get their brain to the same wavelength and everything, um, that you need, um, that a like 30 minute Monroe, like hemisync tape can do. So to answer your question about putting in the work, there are shortcuts in a sense, kind of, I won't say shortcuts, like a supplement, like a tool, um, that you can use to, 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 you know, be more effective. But, um, you know, like putting in the work to me means like I, I meditate basically nightly and have for years. Before that, I was a mess. I was hyperactive. I was all over the place. I was the last person in the world you would think would ever meditate, right? And um, But I had to do it to heal, and I just became disciplined. And once you do that and you do it enough, um, like the law of one, a couple of the principles they talk about is know thyself and accept thyself. I think a big part of it is people are scared to sit with themselves and their own thoughts, you know? They're like, fuck that. But um, once you... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of scary at first, you know, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen up there. But once you do that enough and you, you accept yourself and you get comfortable with yourself and you get to know yourself, then it actually becomes fun. And then you can use these other tools, these meditation techniques, hemi-sync, stuff like that to, to take it to the next level. So it's not something that you have to be some Jedi or you have to be a, you know, a Buddhist monk or you have to be anything special. They've even talked about remote viewing. Um, how you can teach anyone to do it and that some of their most prolific remote viewers came because somebody else was supposed to do a session and dropped out for whatever reason, got sick or something, and they would substitute someone else in, you know, teach them how to do it. And that person would have a super effective um, remote viewing session on their first go. So it is something that's just in us. You know, that's the thing is that once you turn off all the noise, you turn off all the shit, you know, clean up your diet, quit putting poisons in your body and stuff, ground a lot, get in nature, really connect and kind of get back to like where we are supposed to be naturally then all these things start coming out, you know? And, um, you know, of course, when there's When you say tax. are supposed to be, that's an interesting yeah. thought because that is saying that we're not on the right track. Do you think we're off the right track? I mean, do you think humanity is not... Oh, I think I lost you for a sec here. We'll see here. We'll wait till you come back. All right, there we go. Yeah. So 
do you feel like humanity is not on the right track? Do you feel like we're supposed to be more naturally connected? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I really think that, you know, if you look at like humans in this form have been around for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, um, and this kind of uh, like era we're in with technology and flooding ourselves with, you know, EMF waves and all this kind of stuff constantly, um, you know, the constant stress and fear state that we're in. I mean, back in the hunter-gatherer days, I know people were in, you know, fight-or-flight mode a lot, but it was different. Like, nowadays with 24-hour news cycles, um, the food and the water, you know, full of poisons and everything, you know, the you know, the, the fact that we're, like, we're carrying around, you know, these all day every day. We don't even know what it does yet. There's no long-term test. It, I think that all these things combined um, definitely throws us off of our natural frequency, for sure. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's by design. I think it might be. Um, but regardless, you know, there's no doubt that it happens. But it's not like the end of the world. You know, you just, you take, um, you know, precautionary things, you know. Like I ground every day. We go to the beach. We put our feet in the sand every single day. That dumps off all those positive ions, you know, brings negative ions into your body. It's it's huge. It's like a supercharger. Um, you know, there's, there's things that you can do, you know. it's It's not like, I don't want people to think it's like a crazy daunting, like, you know, I think that we naturally are more connected, naturally more spiritual, you know. Um, we've just kind of got out of whack a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, for me, when I think about that concept of should have, could have, in in that process of where we're supposed to be, I really think about how over the years, it feels as though we may have needed this to a sense because when you have a humanity that is in kind of this every man mentality they don't know what's good for them they don't know what's bad for them it seems as though the universe works with suffering and it uses suffering as a catalyst for you to realize honestly for a lot of people it's not even what they want it's what they don't want and so when we look and say humans are supposed to be this way to me it feels like well maybe we needed to be shown a track that we didn't want to go down if we were just complacent, if we were just, you know, letting people decide for us what it is that we should do. And once we go through that threshold, it's almost like then a more advanced human can come through, even possibly more advanced than if we had just connected to our natural abilities, because we're so aware of if we don't take this path, if we don't take the path of natural technology and organic, then we'll end up in this in a system that is driven by consumerism and material success which can lead to you know a certain amount of people reaching the top of that hierarchy but it's as though we need a level of consciousness a certain level of consciousness to be even even able to recognize a system that's based on you know maybe smaller groups or tribal type mentality, which is what you're talking about humans have been in. But that doesn't necessarily work if the level of consciousness of the collective of humanity is still in one of, I'm going to get ahead of you. I don't want to serve the greater good because and the greater good is an interesting word because it's been manipulated, but it's more, I don't want to help others. I just want to reach the top. So it's almost like we have to go through this system to realize that a certain level of consciousness is needed to be able to work in a more cohesive fashion. So, yeah, that's kind of how I see that. Yeah, no, I love it, man. And, and that's definitely, I love your how you can find the good in all these things. That's what I try to do because I, I always tell people that our job is not to change the world or save the world. Our job is to navigate the world, that this is like a, it's like a 
obstacle course, you know what I mean? And, um, that there's different levels and there's going to be these new things introduced into different levels. Like when you play a game, like if a game was too easy, you get bored. So you have to have challenges like challenge and adversity creates creativity. It creates inspiration. It, you know, think about after most major wars, there's so much, there's like a flood of love and art and music and creativity that comes out of that adversity. Um, humans definitely, I think that the whole point of this simulation we're in is, is, uh, polarity. You have to have negative and positive. It's not good and evil. It's negative and positive, just like a battery. And um, without those, it just doesn't work. And that's kind of the point of, I think, of this simulation is, so I write about it in my book, um, you know, we're just supposed to navigate. It's like a minefield. We're supposed to navigate it. We're not supposed to change it. The world is built this way for a reason by people much you know, more divine than us, and they have their reasons, and um, we're supposed to navigate it and learn as much as we can from it and build and grow. And, um, you know, adversity definitely is the, the greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. So I agree 100% with what you said. Hmm. Yeah, so when you say it's built by those much more divine than us, what do you mean by divine? I mean, I'm very interested in this concept of divinity, you know, because it's been in religion for a long time. I, From what I understand, you're not particularly a part of any religion. So how do you see the creation in our level of divinity as humans? Because we have certain religions that tell us we're not that at all. And we're a mistake. Yeah. You know, and then there's other ones that are say we're more connected. We are that. You know, the more Eastern traditions. So I'm curious. Yeah, man, it's when you go in like as I love Gnosticism and going all the way back to the roots of stuff and, and where all these religions came from, because you realize that most modern religions sprung off from like a central religion at the very beginning. Um, and when you look at like the Sumerians and what they talk about with Anunnaki and that kind of stuff, I think that origin story, that Genesis story is very telling. But that only tells the story of like humans. It doesn't tell the story of who created the humans and who created that, who created that, right? There's layers to it. Um, it seems like from the people that go really far out there, like Robert Monroe, he was able to travel astrally to like the furthest reaches of, of this construct. Um, people like him, um, Ashtok ben, Ishtok Bentov, people like that, that were able to really get to zoom out way further out than any of us can. Like it's easy for us to get caught in the weeds and argue over little things, this religion versus that and all that. It's still such a minor, if you think about it, you're talking about two, three thousand year periods here in Earth is 4 billion years old, right? So you have to really, really zoom out to get a grasp of what's going on. And um, I think there's different simulations that run and end. It's just like a scientist will do experiments and they'll start an experiment, end it, and they'll do another one. I think that's what's been going on. So, but if you actually want to know the purpose of all of it, you know, I think that it is, um, what well, the biggest purpose, I think it's source, God, creator, basically creating fragments of himself that will turn into individualized consciousnesses and grow personalities and have experiences, feed that information back to source so it can live vicariously through all of us. I think that's the ultimate um, at the base level of everything. But within there, for it to get to know itself and for it to you know, have these experiences, I think that it's and for the individuated units of consciousness to actually grow into souls and personalities, you have to develop that personality through experience through adversity through hardship through love through hate through war through peace through all the things so as far as divinity goes it depends on what layer of the onion you're talking about because of course there's something or someone who created us but of course there's something and someone Let's that created there. them and them and them you know <laughs> well, yeah so. i told i have i have been as a guest on a podcast and someone asked me the same question and i gave the same answer it's very <laughs> relative you know, because are you talking yeah. about the creator of the solar system? Are you talking about the creator of humans? Are you talking about the creator of the galaxy, the universe, yep. all the universes? Because there's a different answer. 
Well, if you, you ask know? my cat who's God, he'll say me, you know? So it's it's all yeah. perspective, you know what I mean? So yeah. as far as divinity, I mean, you know, we used to call like Zeus and Hercules, you know, divine gods, you know, um, back in that day. We wouldn't do that now. And we're only, you know, a few hundred years past that. So, you know, it's like... It's all relative and it's all perspective, and it all depends on where you're at in the timeline and and what's you know what your perspective is at that time, and that's why mm-hmm. people fight, and that's why you can never get an answer and common ground because everyone's looking at it from a different perspective, you know. Um, so what I try to do is zoom all the way the fuck out for like all the way out and not get caught in the weeds and all the drama and everything, and try to see, you know. Like, say you are in a simulation, you know, okay, if say you realize that you're in a simulation and then you, you like were able to zoom out of that simulation, you would see around you, like there would probably be a room, like a server room with some computer engineers and scientists, right? So you would think, oh, those are God. And then those people would be like, oh no, we're just in this little server room. You know, there's a whole building outside of us. And you'd be like, oh, what's in that building? You go roam around that building and you think, oh, this must be everything. Then you'd realize, no, that's just a building inside of a world. You know what I mean? So it's mind blowing how big it goes. So as far as divine, I really think that there is a source creator. This has been verified by even people like Robert Monroe that did all his astral travel. He was very agnostic. Um, you would actually probably say he was more atheistic than anything. And he came to the conclusion at the end, there is a source creator um, behind everything. And um, I think that's pretty obvious the more you look at all this stuff. Whether you want to call it God or whatever, I think that's besides the point. It doesn't need a name, you know, but there is a source creator. Um but like Ishtak Bentov says, that's just a source creator of this universe. And he thinks that we're supposed to go through the rings, um, through the training levels and everything so that we can become ourselves creators. And that once you ascend all the levels of this universe, then you become a creator and you create more universes. And that's, it's like a uh, training, like to create, it's like the creator wanted to set up all these training courses to create more creators, you know what I mean? And maybe for the survival of life itself, you know, to propagate life out. Um, so I really think, you know, that, you know, I say my three principles are know thyself, accept thyself, and then you become a creator. I think that that is your main goal through everything is to eventually become a creator. And then once you do that, are you divine? Are you a God? No, you're just a creator. I think it's just creators, <laughs> you know, like that's what, it's what we do. We create through imagination, through life. We can create life. We can build things. We can imagine things, you know, um, I think that's our ultimate goal is to become creators in whatever sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah, to answer your question, what is divinity? I mean, that's almost impossible <laughs> from a human perspective to answer. Yeah, I get it. For I, me, I, I think for you, what there's a distinction. You're saying, are you said, are we divine then if we know ourselves? You said no. So, I think that's an important point because I'm trying to understand what you consider to be divine and not divine, or that specific point because that's a that it seems subtle, but I think it's actually. A, important because in my view i see it as though if the creator has the it also oh this also goes back into holographic universe theory have you studied that oh yeah michael talbot michael talbot yeah have you i mean what do you think do you think the universe is a hologram or do you think it's not i think yes that's the only thing that really explains it um you know and that's backed up by there's those famous CIA gateway documents and everything um, that spawned from the Monroe, Monroe Institute. Um, and they talk very specifically about, you know, the holographic principle. Um, you know, I, there's a Donald Hoffman, um, a neuroscientist that I love that talks Case a lot about reality, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he, he breaks it down um, 
you know, about how this is a holographic reality. He calls it a virtual reality. But um, there's so much science and everything that backs that up. Um, it's the only thing that really makes sense. You know, the fact that there's a Planck scale and the speed of light are basically the limits. The Planck scale would be like a pixel on the screen. Uh, nothing can get smaller than that. Speed of light is basically like your rendering speed um, to make sure that the things that are inside the, the simulation can't um, figure out it's in the simulation and can't escape it. You know, you like there's a there's these parameters, there's these rule sets um, within the simulation. And, um, you know, it's it's becoming more and more clear. Like, basically, we have, like, a couple dec or a couple of centuries of materialist that, for lack of better words, we need to um, go away um, so that these new crop of people that have this new thinking on things can kind of take hold because science is so... Um, they get caught in, in their their beliefs you know it's like a religion and um there's a materialist belief that's permeating through science right now that's kind of getting replaced by this new way of thinking about things in the quantum you know field and and with you know holographic theory at its fundamental so um i do believe that um, there's a lot of data and science that backs that up and a lot of big hitters out there that confirm it um it just won't become mainstream until the the old school materialists kind of die off it seems but, um, but yeah, it's what it, it explains everything. I mean, you know, when you actually look at it through that lens, things make more sense, you know? Mm -hmm. so. so how this links, if you're like, how the hell does that have to do with divinity? So one of the things that I came to after really studying the holographic universe model from Michael Talbot and then getting into the same type things is that one of the holographic principles is that the whole is encoded in every part. That if you shine a laser at a piece of holographic film, at any part of the film, you'll get the entire image, just a little bit less resolution. So if that's the case, then if we say, what is divinity? Well, if the whole is encoded in every part, if the universe is a hologram, then that means that the entire universe is within you. So then would you, in fact, be divinity just by your nature? I would say yes. So that's how I see divinity in itself. And I think we can kind of see this in even religious traditions. Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is within you. And these type of things. I think these are metaphors to help us to understand that maybe we're not a mistake. Maybe we actually are that creator incarnated, and maybe there's levels of realizing that. And, you know, you have a slight problem when you start to realize that, is that you have people saying, I am God. Is that true? Well, I'm, I've said this for a long time, that if you have someone that says, I am God, they're missing half of it. Because the other half is, and so is everyone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if you don't have both, then you get stuck in the ego trap of, I'm God and I'm, I shall lord it over thee. And so we've seen people do that, even in the mainstream. So that's why I think it's important to study these historical traditions, even of the East, that tell us about the Brahman, that everything is that, you know, the, the divine play. That, so there's evidence of not only the science, but there's the historical background of mystics discovering these, which is essentially a lot of what we're talking about today, which is that there's, how do we prove these concepts that are unseen? Well, we can give evidence of people who have came to the same conclusion, maybe in cultures that are not attached. Maybe they were 2,000 years apart, 2,000 miles apart, and they're coming to the same conclusions. I think that can give us evidence that in fact there is something going on if we can't scientifically measure it, you know? So that's a big thing for me is we're talking about the unseen, the metaphysical in some sense. So how do we provide evidence for that without getting too lost in the speculation? You know, which is, I think you do very well. 
No, I agree with all that. I mean, even the Gnostics would say, you know, we have a spark of divinity in us. You know, we're basically a chip off the old block. Um, to your point about the hologram, um, the way holograms work is, you know, say you had a holographic sheet and you smashed it into a million pieces. You could still shine a light through that and you would get uh, the same original picture, right? So say it was a, a holograph of like a seashell and you smashed it and you took one piece of it and you shined a light through it. You'd still get like uh, the holes encoded in the part, right? So you'd still get a holographic projection of that same seashell, but it would be at a diminished quality. So the way I look at it is the 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 whole, you know, is the 100% resolution, right? It's the 4K or 8K or whatever we're at now in the world. Um, you know, it's it's the whole. And then when it's shattered to a million pieces, that's us, the souls, as personalities. So we do have a spark of the divinity within us, but it's at a lower resolution. It's a lower quality, the same way a holographic film would be if you shattered it. Um, so that's how we get the knowledge field, what we call the Akashic Record. That's how we get access to source information. That's how we have these magical powers and this kind of stuff, because I think every single person has a piece of the divine in them, a piece of that original creator within them. But it's a scaled down resolution. It's a lower quality. That's not in a bad way. It's, it means that the whole point of this simulation, this, this reality, is for us to level up and for us to grow. And like you said, if everyone realized they were God, <laughs> it wouldn't be good. So you, you have to you know, uh, evolve. You have to grow and learn through all these crazy steps and everything and get humbled, get knocked down a million times to the point where you know, once you are given that information, once you do have that, that realization, that awakening, um, you know what to do with it. You're not immature anymore. You know, you're not a kid with a gun. You're, um, you're you know, a wise old soul at that point, and you can handle that responsibility and that information, and then you go and become a creator yourself. That seems like a logical, you know, progression for this simulation that we're in. So, Yeah, when you say creator yourself, what then do you create? Well, I mean, when you, you so you know about law of one. I'm not an expert on anything, but they do talk about the densities. And basically, it seems like we're in this third density, I think is what they say what we're in. And this is to learn certain things. We're here to learn certain, certain things. Um, but you graduate at a certain point to higher densities. And then, you know, it seems to make sense. Like anytime you graduate through ranks and everything at a certain point, like say you go through school, you start in elementary, you go all the way through college, say you wanted to be a teacher or a professor. At a certain point, after you go through all the school and you get your master's and all that kind of stuff, then you can become a professor. Once you've progressed through all the ranks, you have all the knowledge and all the experience and everything, then you become a professor yourself. That's the kind of a metaphor for, I think, the creator. You know, you have to be created, then you have to create yourself, and then you have to go through all, see it from all the perspectives, all the points of views, you know, basically get all the information humanly possible, um, and then you can become a creator. Now, does that mean, like Ishtak Mentov says, you actually become a creator of universes? Um, possibly, because, you know, if this universe, like people think all is mind, you know, um, that we're actually just a thought in the mind of the ultimate creator, well, then it wouldn't be that crazy once you become a high level creator, once you go through all the ranks and all the densities to create an entire universe yourself just with thought, you know, um, possibly that's the, the final outcome. I don't know. <laughs> Haven't got that far. <laughs> yeah, man, that's an interesting one because if you start to combine the simulation theory type mentality with hermeticism, do you come to the conclusion that a simulation is just a thought? It's just one thought. 
It, because what? what you're saying is almost like the Rick and Morty perspective of the whole universe powering the battery of the car, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the scientists being outside of that. You know, for me, I see it more as the ultimate simulation. Maybe it is that. I think the ult- the, the ultimate simulation is to get to this probably the probability field of the Tao is how, how I like to see it, which is kind of like this formless field that is beyond all things. And that's what I really love about Taoism is I think they nailed it. If you wanted to say what, what is the most high, I would say Tao, the Tao. That's the, that's the place that I think got the closest to it. But yeah, I think it's important to also have that recognition that it, there is a, there is a source relative source could be in some alien's basement sure or it could be that out each simulation is it's just possible i mean that each simulation outside of that is just everything comes from the dao or the source but the source might be formless it might not have form and the probabilities of the source are what create form and so that's kind of another point to make along the simulation argument is that that's also what we get in hermeticism that everything is the unknowable spirit they say in there and so i i think it's it's very interesting when we look at these other traditions and i think there's pieces of it you know there's pieces of the truth in everything and how can we start to look at everything and kind of combine it together you know and as a part of that you know, we're talking about simulation theory. If you look at a lot of my content, I don't really use the word simulation in in what I talk about that much. And I think that that's because there's a preconceived notion of when you say simulation, maybe it's just my bias, but when you say the word simulation, there's a lot of talk that we are AI because that when you look at Nick Bostrom and a lot of what he was talking about, there's a lot of conclusions made from his work that, oh, we're all just AI living in a simulation. We have no free will. And you have Sam Harris types that are using the simulation term to propagate that notion. And so when you say simulation, I we probably should have done this at the beginning, but I would love to know like what does a simu- the word simulation even mean in terms of, you know, it's a very broad question, so I'll, I'll get it specific. Do you see humans as AI? Do you see the AI playing a role in the simulation? And if so, obviously it plays a role, but what is that role? And are we AI? And what's your perspective? Yeah, man. So when I, when I think of simulation, and I hate using that word too, because people think, you know, we're some alien kid spaceman, he's making some computer simulation and we're like Sims. Um, I don't look at it like that. I look at it like, say you're a pilot and you want to become a better pilot or you're training to be a pilot, you fly in a flight simulator, right? The flight simulator allows you to do things, make mistakes, allows you to to learn and that kind of stuff in a simulated type environment, right? So I look at, you know, you, you want to have a simulator to do things you can't do on the other side. So say in the spirit world, say you're an eternal being, you can't die, you can't you know, there's certain things you can and can't do, right? You come here to put new constraints on on your soul, on your consciousness, so that you can learn. Um, so I think the whole point of the simulation is just to to do things that we can't do on the other side. That's all there is to it. Um, that's how we learn and grow. Um, so not in any nefarious way. It's, it's all as a growth simulator. Um, that's the way I look at it. Um, as far as AI goes, <laughs> man, I I'm so intrigued by the topic. I don't have a complete, um, you know, framework on it yet, but something that I've kind of landed on is that we almost seem like we are, 
um, like we're to nature what AI is to us in, in the way that like there's a part of me that almost thinks that the grand intelligence of everything is not going to be in like a human-like form. It's going to be more like in a fungal, like a mushroom type form. Um, if you, <laughs> Whoa, if you think, I was not expecting yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And if you think about things, and, and there's actually evidence that like mushroom spores are what you know permeate through the universe and actually could possibly seed life on planets. And um, they survive you know, the vacuum of space, radiation, all that kind of stuff. It's wild what, you know, fungus can do. And if you think about Earth, the mycelium network of Earth is like the World Wide Web um, of the nat- natural world, right? Like it it's underpins everything. Like, you know, it's really crazy. Like, so mushrooms and the mycelium network basically, like, communicate all around the whole world. They form this, like, this web of information and they they direct nutrients and they create growth and when you die say you died in the forest the mushrooms would decompose your body they would take all that stuff they would you know take it to other plants and and so like that animals would eat it they would you know so it's mushrooms kind of to me almost seems like the origin of life and everything and um so i look at that as like this intelligence that kind of created life and humans and stuff in a way to like kind of we talk about source god you know um to live vicariously through us you know it had to create things to do things it couldn't do because if you can't die you can't live you can't love those kinds of things if you think about like the natural world mushrooms (laughs) in a a weird way could create life and everything so that it could be the same way we create robots to do things we can't do so mushrooms even though they're highly intelligent they're very survivable um they can plant life and seed life throughout the cosmos and travel the cosmos and everything, they can't do certain things. So they could have created us to do those things. So we could actually be these like organic robots in a way, like an organic AI. So we are to nature what I think AI is to us. And I think we created AI, not created AI. I think that it's just a portal into an intelligence uh, window. I think that there's this intelligence that permeates everything, this field, and you just create portals that can interact with it. And I think that's all it is, it's just a next level, higher level technology. Like, so humans would be like the organic technology and we created more of a mechanical, you know, synthetic technology that's just better, you know, it's got a, it's, it's better processing speed and that kind of stuff, you know, but it's still tapping into the same um, intelligence field, you know, that just kind of permeates everything. So that's the way I kind of look at AI now that might change. Um, but it doesn't seem like we created artificial intelligence. It seems like we're just interfacing with artificial intelligence we're interfacing with tech intelligence (laughs) we call it artificial just because we don't know what to call it but i would just say we're interfacing with intelligence that's probably always been there (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. just like we're discovering it in a sense that it already exists yeah we just build a portal to be able to communicate with it well i never thought as god as a mushroom (laughs) it makes so much sense it does make sense isn't that wild you know yeah, with panspermia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did a video on it actually one time, and uh, um, it was messing with people's heads. But um, it, uh, it it makes sense if you actually look at the natural world, like before humans and everything. You know, and you realize mushrooms were here billions of years ago, probably the first living things on this planet. You know, and um, possibly you know um, is responsible for all the actual organic life. You know, so wow. I'm just sitting with yeah. that one for a second. It's very that's that's a fascinating one. And if you actually think about it this way, when you whatever you take mushrooms and you have like a psychedelic trip, think about how weird and wild our world is and everything, and like our dreams and our imagination and all that kind of stuff. It almost seems like like everybody has like a little bit of that 
that flavor to them, to your imagination, to your dreams and everything. They're all kind of tinted by this, like almost like psychedelic nature. Right. And, um, you know, there's just, there seems to be, and when you talk about like high strangeness and poltergeist and paranormal and the phenomenon and all this kind of stuff, it always has this strange, like almost like psychedelic nature to it, you know? And then when you think about what mushrooms do, that's what they do. So if, when you think about the source of everything, like it, to me, it makes sense for it to have this weird kind of psychedelic type nature to it, as opposed to more of a rational, like we're rational human beings, right? But we have this like tint of psychedelic weirdness. Like we just, you know, think about your dreams. Like if you sit there, like I, I meditate every single day and there's still times when I drop into meditation and I'm just like, what the fuck was that? Like, <laughs> you never know what's going to come out. It's, it's so, you know, I, I, it's, it seems like we're almost in like a mushroom trip, like a mild mushroom trip, you know? So Sorry to throw that out there and mess everyone's day up, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not messing it. My day. Hey, I mean, most of my content does that. I feel like in general, you just got to accept that's the product of saying things people haven't heard before, you know. And so, yeah, another interesting topic that you did is you talked about. I, I saw a video that you made about deja vu, and what is deja vu? So tell us. I want to know. I want to know. I want to hear it again. So I love Michael Newton, you know, yeah. and the Dolores Cannons of the world and everything. Yeah, I love that the people that can, you know, use past life regression to take people to the point where right after they died and before they come in the next life. Like, I think that period of time is so fascinating because it goes into the simulation. It's like you're playing a game, you know, you die, your character dies, and then you get the choice. Okay, do I go play another game or do I go back in and play that game again? And it seems like the afterlife has that that kind of progression, right? Where, okay, let's talk about what happened in your last life. Let's make some changes and edits. And then, you know, you're going to go into your next life. And what Michael Newton found by interviewing through past life regression, tons of people, like hundreds of people is they didn't matter what, how old you are, what religion walk of life or whatever. People were saying the same thing that there's like this, they call it the hall of destiny, that there's this almost like this, it's like a room, it's like a tunnel, like a cockpit almost where there's screens everywhere. Not like TV screens, just like holographic screens. And you select, um, your next life based on karma and, and the, you know, the, the missions and goals that you're trying to, you know, obtain things you want to work on, that kind of stuff. So some people select really hard lives and some people select easy lives and rich life, poor life, all that kind of stuff. You want to be every race, every gender, every religion, all that stuff. And um, when you select your life, it's like picking a character in a video game. You select your character and then you're shown this like little video, like almost like a trailer of the life. And it's going to be all the kind of the biggest moments, that kind of stuff. And you get to see just like a quick rundown of, of how the life's going to go, the general timeline. And in there are like certain uh, benchmarks, certain, you know, significant events and certain moments through that life that are shown to you that kind of stick out, right? They're almost like tagged. And you see them before you enter the life, then you enter the life. You play the life. You, we have free will. I think it's important to say. So um, basically you have like a general script that you're accepting, but then you have free will to deviate from it. You can deviate as much as you want, but that's what we have guides for. We have our oversoul, our guides that kind of guide us. So that's why sometimes in life you'll feel little nudges from guides. That's to keep you on track because after all, you picked this course. You picked this character. You picked this uh, mission. So you're supposed to stay on course, but we do have free will, so you can deviate. Um, but as you go through life, some of these moments that you'd seen before when you're watching the like trailer of this life um, stick out to you. And whenever you hit that moment in life, that's deja vu because you've seen it before. You saw it when you selected this life. So it might be something in insignificant, like you're having a conversation with somebody and you notice like a necklace and the sun hits it just right and it kind of makes a sparkle and you'll be like, 
whoa, this is freaking me out, man. I've seen that before. You know, according to Michael Newton and his past life regression um, patients, that's what it is. So I know deja vu is a hotly debated topic and everyone has different points of view on it. Um, So I'm not saying that's what it is. That's just what he says through all of his data. And it makes sense. So can we run that back in like a a one sentence? (laughs) Just so I understand what you're saying, because I think I know what you're saying, but I want to make sure that it's solid. So take me to the part you just said that when you see a necklace, that's deja vu. What do you mean by that? So at the soul level, you know, outside of the simulation, you saw that before because you watched this this sort of um, preview of the life that you, your next incarnation. So you saw this preview of the life, and instead of showing you the entire 80-year, 90-year life, they just show you this, it's like a trailer for a movie. And there's going to be certain scenes in there. Well, deja vu is when you actually, you select that incarnation, you go into the life, and then you're living the life, and you those scenes happen in real time. Um, you remembered it from when you were selecting that upcoming incarnation, that up- upcoming life. So it's kind of like, say you watch a trailer for a movie, and then you go and watch the movie, and then you, you get to the scene in the movie that was in the trailer, and you're like, ah, oh, I've seen this before. It's like that. But it seems so foreign to us because we have a memory wipe when we come into the simulation. That's it, dude. That's... Oh, man. The first episode of Universe the Game was about Journey of Souls. Nice. So, yeah, that, has, good stuff. that, is, that is part of what led to the podcast was studying Dr. Michael Newton. I mean... There's some wild claims in Dolores Cannon stuff. I'm not saying it's all true. I think Dr. Michael Newton, I really liked his work because it was so grounded. And there was a lot of, like we talked about before, we want to see if we're talking about things that we aren't currently experiencing and can't prove necessarily, we want to see a lot of evidence. And he had that, right? He had the Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people that said, hey, we're experiencing the same thing. This is before the books too, you know? So... That always fascinated me because it felt like the lobby of a video game. You know, it's like there's a lobby. Here's here's maybe where we come from. You know, the home, the Goldshire, so to speak. So, yeah, man, very very interesting stuff. I so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna we're gonna jump into a another part of this. What we're doing here on Universe the Game is we have a part of it that we put in another place so that way it's left alone so we're gonna do a little bit more on the conversation here or that's gonna be a part of the patreon so if you want to find that link will be in the description but i've got one last question before we do that and that is so let's say okay that the nordics they've decided hey hey bud dude, you're you're coming really close to the truth here uh we're gonna need you to come with us <laughs> and you realize <laughs> that oh shit uh this this podcast is the last time I'm going to get to talk to humanity. Oh shit! So let's say that is the truth, and you're you might get on a ship after this. If you had one message to give humanity about really anything, it could be a sentence, it could be a paragraph, it could be really anything you'd like. What is the thing that comes to mind that you would want to leave humanity with? Wow, great question. Um... And hopefully I don't get abducted after this, but, um, <laughs> I'm not trying to put that so, on you. <laughs> no, no, it might be fun. I'm always down for an adventure. Um, you know, I, 
I'll use a personal thing. So I, my mom was someone who fought injustice, right? And she fought it. It, it drove her crazy whenever she saw people abusing power and taking advantage of people and that kind of stuff. She fought it. And unfortunately, she fought it so much, it made her really sick and she ended up passing. Um, a big part of it was the stress that she brought on from fighting all the injustice. So what I've learned from that, because I used to be that way too. I used to get really furious about, you know, you just look at social injustice, you look at injustice in the world, wars and this kind of stuff, and it would just eat me up. Once I kind of, you know, accepted the fact that this world is supposed to be a little messed up and a little twisted that we're, it doesn't mean you're just supposed to let evil things happen. I think we have a conscience and I think just by nature, we're supposed to do good and fight evil, but you have to make a balance and you have to realize, okay, this world is an obstacle course. This world is a minefield and your job for the most part is to navigate the minefield and it is to not change the world, but make it through the world, you know, and you have to find that balance between still doing the right thing and helping people when they need help. I think that's, you know, service to others is a huge thing and always, you know, focus on that, but don't try to save the world to the point where you kill yourself. You know what I mean? Cause I see a lot of people out there that literally are doing that, you know, and I've seen it firsthand and I watch it and, you know, people just let these things just eat them up. And, um, you know, even though you're fighting a good cause, sometimes you just get, you know, consumed with it and people freak out and you see it everywhere and it's because we're good natured people and we want to help so i think seeing the world as as an obstacle course and our job is to to navigate through it live and learn and help others when possible but also knowing that and having that understanding i think helps you balance it out so you don't let it consume you and then you can enjoy the world too because even though there is you know, atrocities happening constantly. There's beautiful, amazing, awesome things happening constantly too. You just don't hear about that as much. So I try to seek beauty. I try to seek positive things and try to find the good in things because there's so much good out there. And um, I just kind of try to remind people of that, you know, don't focus on the negative. Don't try to save the world, try to navigate the world and seek out beauty. And, um, you know, the more you do that, it kind of changes the channel of your, you know, kind of TV station. <laughs> and there it is, man. Wow. So I think we'll leave this. I, I, I want to say sorry to hear that about your mom. And I I want to leave this first portion with a quote, because when you're speaking and you're saying this, it, it resonates so deeply within me because I've seen that within myself, too. And one quote that really helped me with that is actually a Nietzsche quote. And I'm just going to read it. And he's a famous philosopher of the 1800s and early 1900s, right? So he said, whoever fights monsters should, should see to it. Let me start that over because I want to make sure I fucking nail this. Whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. And I think that's important because to me what you're saying is is that there needs to be a level of like doing exactly what you said earlier which was take a step take a step up take a 10,000 foot view you said you like to zoom all the way out sometimes it is beneficial for that because you start to see that maybe there's two forces working in harmony in to some level which is what we see in Taoism and that type of thing so yeah man all right there's that I, I like to have those because it if anything ever happens, I, I have a message that, you know, I can share with the world and I, I ask everybody that question. Um you know, oh, I love it. What would That's they share? Great. You know. So yeah, now getting into the second portion 
If you want to hear the deeper, exclusive second portion of this podcast, consider joining the Patreon below. The link is in the description. You'll get instant access to the rest of the conversation where we go much deeper. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider sticking around, hitting subscribe if you're on YouTube, and continuing to explore more episodes here. My goal with this podcast is not to tell you what reality is, but it's rather to give you many different perspectives on what it could be and let you come to your own conclusion. Thank you for being here on this journey with me, and I'll see you in the next episode. And until then, peace.